one of the things I do want to bring up before we go into the, the Word is that um, we do worship here for a reason. Because all throughout Scriptures, a good portion of Scriptures is worship. I don't know if you knew that. A good portion of what we find in Scripture is worship. It's something we're going to do when we stand before God. We are going to fall at our knees and we're going to worship Him in song. Uh, one of the things that, that I have studied all throughout church history, um, whether it be the early church or even uh, in the past hundred years, is that whenever a group of people worship, God shows up. Do you know that? Remember the Battle of Jericho? Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Do you know that that was a song that they were chanting? That they blew their trumpets as a sign of victory? Every time we open our mouth, every time we raise our hands, every time we go into a deep place of surrenderance, what we're doing is that we're opening the gates of heaven for God to be given all the glory, all the power, all the honor. And so as we come to a place of worship, I know that when I've gone to concerts, I've been to you know, many concerts in my day, and I'll never, I'll never forget. I remember growing up in the church, and then I remember uh, walking away from the church, even though I had to go you know, spiritually. And I remember going to a Grateful Dead concert. Parkers, close your ears. And I remember being at a Grateful Dead show. Okay, any deadheads out there? Okay, and the rest of you are lying. Liars. Need to speak online this morning. I'll never forget being at the show of over 80,000 people and people were just singing with Jerry. And Jerry doesn't even sing the right words when he's on stage if you're a real deadhead. He never forgets all his words. And I just remember standing on a chair. I'm not even joking. I remember standing on a chair in Giant Stadium and looking out and saying, this is really spooky. 80,000 people are worshiping Jerry Garcia. And I wasn't even following Jesus. Just think about it. Just think about it. How should we worship? We should, op- we should worship with open hearts, open minds, and open hands. We never want to tell you how to worship, but we also don't want you to feel that you have to come and worship a certain way because you feel uncomfortable. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I did at the Jerry show when I ran across and slid across the, um, the back of the giant stadium. You don't need to do that here. But uh, at the same time, feel free. That's what worship is. Jesus, you are. Jesus, you are. You are holy, holy, holy. John Wesley says this. John Wesley, for any of you who don't know, was one of the great revivalists in the, throughout the world. He traveled over 600, I'm sorry, 6 million miles on horseback. He saw millions of people come to Christ. He also saw millions of people have healings and deliverances. He saw those who were lame, walk. Those who were blind, see. Those who were oppressed with whether it be depression or anxiety or all these different things, he saw them free to have life. He said the one secret that he always saw was that worship was the gateway for healing. Unbelievable. So when we come here, I want us. I don't know what goes on behind me because you see me up here. I'm 6'5 and my hands are flying all over. I want you to have that same freedom. And when you come here, that you feel that you can just say, Jesus, you are holy, holy, holy. You are holy. With no shame, no concern of who's on your left or on your right. No concern. So let's pray. Jesus, you are. Jesus, you are. God, every song that we sang was just 
on the spot on the money this morning. My deliverer, you paint the sky. You know us each by name. And God, this morning as we jump into Scripture, we're going to look at a story, a narrative of someone who thought you had completely abandoned them. And yet you were present the whole time. And God, there's also this fear, this, fear, this fear and this feeling within us that the only time that you reach out to us is when we reach out to you. And in many ways that we as the church have lied and said, unless you reach out to God, God will not reach down to you. And that's a lie. God, all throughout Scripture, we see actually the opposite. That you are the one that reached down to humanity to seek and save us. And so Jesus, this morning, even as I was praying and preparing for this week, you had popped certain people up in my mind to be praying for. God, there's others in here that need to hear this message. That God, you see them. You hear them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Everyone got a cell phone? Hold it up. Hold it up. Okay, that's the only time you're allowed to use your cell phone in church. Unless you're looking at the Bible. Okay? Because I see some of you texting out there or watching NFL live. There's many different carriers out there, but there's two main carriers, which are Verizon and AT&T. How many Verizon fans? Okay? How many AT&T fans? Okay. Do you remember about seven or eight years ago when the commercial Do You Hear Me Now came out? Remember the guys like walking all over? It first starts out on the street, and then it goes to the beach, and then it goes to the mountains. I think they might even have one for outer space. But the whole idea was is that people are terrified for their calls to be dropped, right? Have you ever been in a really important conversation and all of a sudden you're in the middle of saying something that, be, that could be taken completely wrong and you're like, click. And you're like, oh no, I'm dead. Or you could also be on the phone and you could be talking to someone and you're just blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, if they call you back and they're like, hey, what happened? I've been waiting for five minutes for you to call me back. Do you know why Verizon had put that commercial up? Because in this area, AT&T has horrific cell coverage. Matter of fact, in New York City, that's where AT&T works best. But here in New Jersey, it's really bad. The problem is AT&T has 100% better customer service compared to Verizon. Matter of fact, I was so frustrated with Verizon that I dropped Verizon, went to AT&T, and the only time I could talk in my house on my AT&T was in front of my bay window, sitting next to a chair with one leg up. Otherwise, everything was dropped. But you see, what, what Verizon was doing to AT&T was kind of sticking it to them, slapping them in the face, saying, we're better than you. We allow people.
that's what I love about Scripture. Because every time you have this encouragement, you can say, oh, I'm not Without reading the scripture. And so, so many people have these assumptions that, that God is this, or God is that, or God doesn't love these people, or God hates these people, or God only loves these certain individuals. But they've never, ever opened the scriptures to find out the truth. But I think one of the biggest concerns that we all have in the most difficult times of our life is does God hear me? Whether it be in a loss of a loved one, whether it be in just the mundane of the everyday, does God stays the same. And oftentimes when you read all of Genesis and so much of Genesis involves Abraham, there's these little characters that are so overlooked. Yet even in the midst of having these two main characters, God never forgets about the little people. The little people. And most people feel like what? The little person. Genesis 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to, be, to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, and listen to how she says this about God. Listen to what she says. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Who is she blaming? Who is she blaming? God. How often in all of our circumstances do we blame ourselves? Not really often. But how often do we point the finger at others and in our big life crises, point at God? She pulled a human nature thing just like us. And here's what she says. Well, I was like the voice of God. And here's what God says. Go. And she says, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal First of all, that was the first mistake. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Not as a maidservant, not as a prostitute, not as a lover, but as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, here's the key, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. So follow the story. Sarai blames God. Sarai decides to fulfill something by helping out. So she does what she thinks is best. But all of a sudden what she thought would bring hope and even healing to Abram and herself, it turns on her. And Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. 
I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. But Lord, you say she's wrong. You or me. Stop here. Ten years earlier, matter of fact, a little bit, not ten years, about eight and a half years earlier, God had shown up to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He never said that I'm going to make you a father of a nation singular. He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You are going to have so many people that come through your offsprings that when you look up at the sky right now, you see all those stars? That's how many children you have. The dilemma was Sarah was barren. She was unable to have children. Not only was she unable to ever bear a child, she was older. Her body couldn't handle it. She didn't want to have to be running after kindergartners or the terrible twos. There was no way she was thinking humanly that she could conceive and bear and raise a son. You see, it has to be a son for the lineage to continue. So it wasn't even like that she was waiting to have a daughter. She was waiting to have a son who would be the heir of many what? Nations. And we all know that whenever we have a promise of something and it doesn't come fulfilled, and I talked about this three weeks ago, that we become impatient. And we oftentimes screw up the plans of God. But let's be fair to Sarai. She had the pressure of conceiving. She had the pressure of she was supposed to be the one. She was Abram's only wife. And so in her humanness, and we always have to say that, and I say that often because we are human. We make mistakes. We fail and we fail greatly. And in her humanness, she's thinking about how could she help and assist her husband? You see, there was a tradition that she knew of that if you had a maidservant that what you would do is you, if you were unable to bear a child, you give that maidservant to your husband as a wife so that the lineage can continue. It's actually a right and proper thing to do. And so she's thinking, okay, God, it's been eight and a half years. Let's call it eight and a half years. And still, I am unable to conceive a child and I am eight and a half years older. And she's thinking humanly, so what would the right thing be? Let me give my maidservant to my husband as a wife. And she does it. And this happened all throughout history, all throughout ancient history. But here's what happened. The moment that Abram slept with Hagar, she conceived she conceived a child and she looked at contempt with Sarai. I am no longer the slave. I am above you. I'm ahead of you. And I am more loved by Abram than you are. Because I am going to produce his offspring. And I will be the mother of many nations. I've gone from slave to queen. 
You see, here's what's also interesting about ancient history, and this is what I love about studying ancient history, is, is that whenever a slave became a wife and she treated the first wife with contempt, they were to be punished. Do you know that? We just think about Sarai doing the natural reaction. That I am going to freak out on this woman and I'm going to show her what she deserves. But Sarai's thinking in her mind, in, in, in our tradition, if she thinks she's above me, I'm going to banish her. I'm going to break this marriage up. And I can actually legally do it. Let's continue. Verse 5, let's read that again. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, right? He's keeping with tradition. Look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. In all fairness to Hagar, the only thing that she had done wrong was how she treated Sarai. In all of this, she had done nothing wrong. Matter of fact, she was being a great servant girl. She was being obedient to her master. And the only thing that she had done, and I really believe the thing that messed all of this up, for her to run away, not the plans of God, because God had a plan through but she became prideful. And her pride led her down a road of destruction to the point that she ran away. She ran away not to come back, but to flee from Sarai and Abram and their tribal people. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means what? God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. Thanks, God. That'll be fun raising him. Not that I don't have any of them. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. 
El Royi. Say that with me. El Royi. El Royi. The God who sees me. For the first six verses, God doesn't show up. For the first six verses, God leaves them in their humanness. And how often that is, is that in our chaos and in our poor choices and our, and our just living in our humanness, that oftentimes God leaves us in our mess. And it's not that he leaves us, it's that we are so confused and chaotic and so loud that we do not allow God to speak. Anyone feel that way this week? Anyone feel that way this past week, year? Anyone feel that way this, your whole life? That your life is so chaotic and the only time you scream out to God is when you come, out, come to church. But the rest of your day is just loud, 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 loud. Music, music, music. iPad, 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 iPad. Yelling, 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 yelling. Confusion. And for the first six verses, there's no God. But then all of a sudden, when, when Hagar runs away and she quiets herself, God reaches down to her. And when you look at this whole passage, it's the first time that she had quieted herself to open herself up. Someone's playing an AT&T commercial. <laughs> Is that my sound guy back there? No? Yeah, we're right. He's got the look on his face. But she opened herself up for God to speak. You see, this is a great picture. We allow so much chaos right now to blind us to hear anything. We're more concerned with whose cell phone is going off than what Rob is saying. And I'm not going to sweat this out. Because what a great illustration. We drive down the road. How many of us are able to sit in our car and not turn the radio on? How many of us can go for like three hours without picking up the phone and, and just having to call someone? And it's not even like you want to talk to them. You just need to hear someone else's voice. But when Hagar had quieted herself, God reached down. And God blessed her. He blessed her with a child. And the only thing that she had cared about was that this child would be the father of many nations. Now it turns out a little bit different than herself. But at the same time, at the same time, God blesses her. This is what's so cool about the story. Hagar was an Egyptian slave girl. She actually was taken from Egypt when she should have never been given to Abram. Do you know that? Abram was not supposed to be taking slaves from Egypt. She was a gift from Pharaoh. He should have never received her. But for some reason in his humanness, God was not going to forget her. Abram's choices had actually put Hagar in a very compromising situation. 
So what do we do with this? I look at this in three different ways. God was going to bless Hagar in some way no matter what. But even in her failing, God reached down to her. Hagar had done nothing wrong except for showing contempt for Sarai, which was a big deal. And here's what we have to realize, that in all of our failure, in all of our mistakes, in all of our humanness, God is always after us to be in relationship with Him. Always. No matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, no matter what your color is, no matter what anything you have done or are doing in your life, God sees you. And if you quiet yourself long enough, you will open your soul for God to reach down and rescue you. You see, that's the Gospel. That nothing you can do can save you. What does it mean to be good enough? Because in every culture, good enough is different. To the Islamic culture, good enough is what? In the extreme Islamic culture, good enough is what? Blowing up others. Is that good? In our culture, no way. Good enough to others is, is being a good father, a good husband. But they may cheat in their jobs. Whose standard is good enough? The Gospel is, there is no standard good enough. The only open hand is the hand on the cross, which is Jesus. You see, there's a second lesson that we can learn. Any middle children in here? Any middle children in here? Okay. Okay. Good job, Benny. Ben's my middle child. There are individuals out there, and I'm just using middle ch children as an example, that feel so isolated and never heard never seen. And these type of people do one of two things. They do the, either the extreme of doing anything to get the attention of others. Or they go into a place of isolation. Have you ever felt in your life that you have to do something extreme to get others' attention? Have you ever felt that you had to do something so ridiculously stupid for people to recognize you. I mean, think about all the school shootings that have gone on all throughout the United States over the last 17 years. That's when the school shootings actually began was 17 years ago with Columbine High School. There are people out there that feel so isolated and so left out that they will do anything to the point of loading a gun and walking into a mall or a school or a church or anywhere to feel that someone will finally see them. And here's what God is saying today. No. Stop. If you quiet yourself, 
you will allow me to reach down and pick you up. Here's the interesting thing about about Hagar. She says, today I am going to call you the God who sees me. And do you know what the angel called her son? The God who hears. God doesn't just watch over us and see what we're doing and, and hopefully black us on the head when we're bad. He sees us and He hears us so that we can engage in the eternal plan that He has for our life. I want to read to you two psalms. One of the psalms I want to read today is one of the psalms that I read at, at the funeral on, on Tuesday. It was John McKenzie's favorite psalm. Let me read just 5-8. through eight. The Lord Himself watches over you. So let's put this in context of self. The Lord Himself watches over me. The Lord stands beside me as my protective shade. The sun will not harm me by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps me from all harm and watches over my life. The Lord keeps watch over me as I come and go, both now and forevermore. Turn to one more psalm. Psalm 139. O Lord, You have examined me, examined my heart, and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your Spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. And your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even darkness, I cannot hide from you. God sees us. And He knows us. El Roy, the God who sees me. Ishmael, the God who hears. We say we are a missional community, a missional church. There's two things we focus on. Knowing Christ and what? Making Him known. You can never, ever make Him known unless what? You know Him. You know Him. Peter tried to run from Jesus. Couldn't run. Because after Jesus was put to death and risen to life, Peter went back to his normal life. He hid. Because he was supposed to be the what? 
the rock, the poster boy, the leader. And I bet you the reason that Peter tried to stay away was because he was embarrassed for his wrongdoing. You know what Jesus did? He went to him. And he found him in the very same place he met him the first time at the beach. I told you this year we're going somewhere, right? I told you this year that if you want to come with us, join us. If you don't, there's probably other churches you can go to. You can go to other churches and you can get the fluff. You can get whatever the preacher says. I don't know what they say. I oftentimes don't listen to them. I listen to certain guys and they keep going where I'm going. I read a ton. I do all the things. I don't know what other go- goes on in a lot of other churches. But I'm telling you this. God has called us to go somewhere. Amen? And the only way that we will ever, ever go somewhere as individuals and as a body is if we allow God to continuously reach down, pull us up. I love what we're doing. Because we all come from different walks. But we all decide to do one thing, which is go. Red and yellow, black and white. We are all precious in His sight. So as you come to the Lord's table this morning, as you reach down into that bread, picture His hand that broke it for you. And the cup that is a symbol of His blood that was shed for you. God sees you and He hears you. Kurt, want to come up and lead us?